Hello, and welcome to the History Check Podcast, uh, the show where we discuss uh, historical events and apply that to D&D. Today, we're talking about the Great Australian Emu War, and we're seeing how we can apply that to make some interesting encounters for D&D. Uh, before we get into it, I just want to say that I particularly like this event. I always like sort of the meme-ish quality to it, and it's something that's a little bit more widely known, so I thought it would be great for our inaugural episode. But without too much dirtling, let's get right into it. So first, we're going to go over some of the facts surrounding uh, the event and sort of a groundwork of, well, what happened. You You need to know what happens if you're going to break it down and re- apply uh, the lessons to create some unique encounters. It happened in Australia in the aftermath of World War One. It was late 1932 and a famine was sweeping throughout uh, the country of Australia. Uh, over 20,000 emus are estimated to be involved in the hordes that were descending upon the crops. And these emus, uh, which are these large birds that are relatively similar to ostriches, they started attacking crops, eating them, and, you know, just leaving the farmers with nothing. The farmers, desperate and not receiving uh, subsidies that they were expecting from the government, they went to the defense minister and asked for help. A resourceful man, he decided that he was going to just send three guys, give them a couple machine guns, and they just went to war. First round didn't go so well. They spent about 2,500 rounds of ammunition to kill just 50 emus. That's about 50 bullets spent for each emu hit. At one point, the gun jammed as over 1,000 emus were headed towards them. And you know what? We've all rolled a nat one before, and... That seems like a real-world analog if there ever was one. Second try was a bit more successful, uh, with about 1,000 kills for 10,000 rounds. But at that point, there was enough bad publicity, and it just wasn't worth it. And they pulled the project and replaced it with a much more successful bounty system. Overall, what I find very noticeable about this is just the fact that the belligerents, right? There was only one side that was actually doing tangible, like, physical damage, but the other side was the one that suffered everything. The emus were the only ones that had casualties, but they they were the ones that won, and there wasn't really much of a loss for them. Uh, and the key lesson from that is threatening resources can be just as effective as threatening lives. The crops were a much more important target than the uh, relatively few emos that were killed. Uh, the numbers I re- listed right there. Uh, you had, a, you know, only about just over a thousand emus died, and that was only one twentieth of the emus. I don't know how many. You can't really estimate exactly how many people died from the famine. 
And you would also have to combine that with the number of people who are like, you know what, we don't have the food, let's not have a child. But I would imagine the damage done was a bit broader than that. Uh, the second thing is that pe people can't be more than a single place at once. One of the things that the emus repeatedly did was they maneuvered around and away and they scattered in a million directions as soon as they started firing the guns at them. Um, one of the problems when designing encounters with smaller enemies that attack in hordes is the problem of a fireball. But the thing is, usually you only have one or two, or if you're unlucky, three people who are throwing around fireballs all the time. And they can only be in a couple places at once. Of, and they can only they only have one action a turn unless they I guess they can tw I don't think you can twin a fireball right it has to be single target I well, gotta look that up later but recognizing that your players need to uh, they can only be in one place at once is a great way of designing encounters and letting uh, the individual people shine a little bit uh, the last thing we have is complications can make a fool out of otherwise competent people. Uh, this can this can be essential when designing an encounter, or it can be a trap. No one wants to feel impotent when they're playing a fantasy game, which can be maybe it's just a epic fantasy where you're trying to escape from real life and get into a grand narrative, or a power fantasy, or any other number of things, but just being a bumbling fool probably isn't on many people's to-do list when it comes to playing the game. So we're going to take these lessons and we're going to try to make a couple encounters out of them. First, we're going to start with something that I quite like. It's goblins. Goblins is one of those iconic, I would have to say, you don't want to call them legendary, but I want to call them legendary because I think it's just... They're just one of those prolific enemies that you're like, this is D&D. &D. Uh, beholders are a little bit more specific to it. You can find goblins ever. But I never feel more home at D&D &D than when I have to choose between persuading, tricking, or intimidating, or killing some goblins. Uh, kobolds, somewhat similar. Uh, but I love those low-level encounters. And may maybe it's because I tend to do a lot more low-level play because all my groups are relatively new for where they're at. Uh, I'm only playing in a couple games. I'm level 10 in one, level 3 in another, and then I'm DMing for another group. But the lower-level play is where my heart's at. Uh, but I, I digress. So we're going to see how we can use the principles of the Emu War to challenge some higher level players uh, we're not going to just go uh, say let's have 20,000 emus well no well 20,000 goblins just charge in and try to take everything and just give people a couple wands of fireballs and let them fail I guess that would be a direct retelling and if you wanted to go for a cheap reference that would be the way you would do it but that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to retell stories in D&D. We want to take what makes a story entertaining, what makes it resonate with us, and we want to translate that into a situation of D&D. 
And with this story and specifically, we have to overcome one thing. Part of what makes us really love that story is the fact that they lost. They weren't able to stop the emus. You know, when you see the post, uh, the different posts that people make about it, they're just like your daily reminder that Australia lost a war to emus. Emus of all things. Can you believe that they lost to non... What I say is sentient or sapient more uh, accurate for that? I'm not quite sure. But not like philosophically thinking creatures, right? They have a they have like a lower form of consciousness in a way. They're not quite they're not aware of being a being in the same way that we humans are. Um, and uh, they've lost in a military conflict, which it wasn't really, but you know, you know, the army got involved. And that's what part of what makes me love it and other people find it so humorous. How do we not make our players the butt of a joke when trying to reapply something like that? Well, it's okay to make them the butt of the joke for a little bit. You're going to eventually need to shift through the encounter to something that will allow them to uh, have a resolution that is satisfying. So this will only have to be uh, the first half of whatever we design. An example, uh, last session I had with my players, I had them be pickpocketed by, uh, by some halfling thieves. And I set up this fake shop on the roadside, and these merchants were selling kind of sketchy merchandise, but I made sure that their, their perception checks would reveal that it's all legit. Uh, you know, some of the health potions were watered down, but they were real health potions and that you would be able to get what you need. And that allowed them to, uh, basically they, w I made them be specific about the perception checks and they were like, no, we're examining the potions. And I'm like, okay. When they said that, that's when I had my halfling strike and do their stealth checks and sleight of hand checks and, and they got away with it because they weren't actively paying attention. They actually had a... I actually gave them a penalty uh, to their passive perception because they're distracted. Not only did they not get to roll a perception check, they took their passive perception and they lost some. In the same way, we're going to structure that, uh, our goblins. Uh, you're going to have them going through the countryside and your players are going to start noticing that at night, goblins show up, they attack crop fields, and oh no, when you show up to the tavern, the tavern's like, we don't have bread to share, we just got a bunch of our crops stolen. And they're like, why? Oh, the goblins? Okay. So, alright, this is going to be a boring stop the goblins mission, where is it going to go? All, well, no, all we know is that they come and raid. Alright, so it's going to be a boring defense mission. Nope. You're going to see a horde of goblins, a horde of a size that might even be worrying, and they're going to be all spread out, and they're not going to care. They're going to try to come in, grab what they can, and get out. They're not worried about fighting, and they know some of the goblins are going to die. They're not foolish. They know that they're smaller and not as tough as other larger creatures, but they don't care. They need to... They need to get their bread somehow, and they're going to run into the crops, they're going to steal it, and they're going to head out. They might even try uh, 
to kidnap some people on the way out so that people don't just rain fireballs on them. So the players will probably kill a bunch of the goblins with various numbers of success, but they won't stop it. They won't solve the problem. They might even try a second time, and they might even be more successful, kill more people this time because they're prepared. But it won't be enough. That's when we shift into the second part. All right, so we did our gotcha little thing. Uh, we made them, we brought them down a peg. They can't, they are not mighty enough to solve all their problems. Now they're going to have to get creative. Why don't they go find the Goblin King? Take it out at the source. But they're going to have to do it at the right time. They're going to have to find, they're, first they're going to have to find them. Two, they're going to have to figure out how they're going to be able to get... What if the whole horde's there? They're not going to be able to stop the whole horde, especially when they're trying to defend their home. Does the Goblin King go on the rent? We're going to say no. We're going to say the Goblin King's selfish. He wants to stay home, and he wants to do that. He doesn't want to put in the effort. He wants other people to do his bidding. Goblins are so often bullied. It makes sense once they're finally in charge. They're not going to take as much of an active role. They kind of just want to be able to bully other people to do their dirty work for them. They're not particularly valorious leaders. Oh, it's, it's a sad thing, but people are often guilty of the same vices that other people use to demean them. So they can come to this Goblin King, and maybe they can persuade him to stop. Maybe they can trade for something to get him to stop. Maybe they can intimidate him. Maybe if they paint the wall with enough goblins and they put a sword to his neck, he's willing to stop. Maybe they just behead him and take the heads of everyone they killed in that cave. They put him on a pike outside the farms. And maybe another goblin king rises and continues the raids. But that king gets beheaded and put out. And another one. And then eventually you have a bunch of rotting heads that functioning as scarecrows. And I would take that... I would take that... Uh, potential solution and I'd run with it guess what for the rest of the for the rest of the campaign farms are going to smell even more awful than they are before because they're going to be rotting goblin heads used as scarecrows to ward off the goblins let your uh, players come up with creative solutions to this so they can finally overcome it it's not going to be it's not going to be so much feeling epic, but it's going to be make them feel resourceful after they were cut down a peg. It's going to help them reestablish, you know, you know what? We're not invincible, but we're confident and we can do things. And we're going to try another one. Instead of it being a problem they're not equipped to deal with, we'll make it an unintended consequence of something they already did. Uh, the emus were a consequence of the shifting uh, weather and the famine. Uh, that wasn't really the farmer's fault, but, you know, it was unintended consequences of things that were already happening. And we'll say that the party recently killed a necromancer. And necromancers do what necromancers do, and they raise their undead armies. These undead armies... Uh, they, when they are breaking free from control of the necromancer as he dies, they also give up their own life and they fall over into the field. And now you have hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe tens of thousands of dead, rotting bodies in the field. That's going to 
attract hyenas, vultures, and various things. So when you have caravanners walking through, they might get harassed by hyenas and vultures protecting their food. When your adventurers come through, they might push on a little further and take a level of exhaustion because they can't chance sleeping out in the field. Uh, doing this, it's not going to be a, it's not really going to be a full encounter. It's mostly going to be something, you know, we already had one random encounter on the road and we're coming up to this spot where I knew this happened. And wouldn't it be fun if we did this instead of a full encounter because we want to get to like the main quest. But I also want to do something interesting. Um, it gives them an opportunity to work around a problem without solving it. They get to exercise their creative muscles and reestablish that things in the world happen because of the, because of just how much impact they have, and also they're not responsible for everything that ever happens. Uh, you know what? Yeah, they killed the necromancer, and the field of dead bodies are there behind, because of them. It's not their job to clean it up. They need to go, and that's just part of life and you know you have these this ecosystem that exists around it you know it's a problem that'll solve itself not every problem they face is a problem that they need to solve sometimes they just need to work around it long enough so that it goes away on its own or someone else comes by and solves it but that's about all i have to say on regards to the great emu war and how we can put it into our D campaigns if you did enjoy the podcast please share it with someone it's the best way for new podcasts to grow. Have a good one.